Hi, welcome to the Thriller Vault podcast. I'm Luke Richardson and today I'm sharing with you an out-of-this-world story called The Ice Maiden. This is one I've written myself and I'm going to be narrating it too. The Ice Maiden. The Alps, Italy, 1882. For Jean Carel, it all started with a pyramid. This wasn't the sort he'd read about people going crazy for thousands of miles away in desert sands, though. This pyramid was certainly not constructed by pharaohs or anything of that sort. This pyramid was the work of a force much larger, the careful, merciless hands of Mother Nature herself. Carell stepped from the door of the house in which his family lived and took two paces in the biting morning cold. Frost crunched beneath his shoes. He took a moment to feel the condition of his feet. They felt good, well rested, ready. No, this was not a pyramid like those that children read about in books, Carell thought to himself. This was something far more imposing. Carell turned towards the 14,000 foot high pile of rock and ice which reared up a few miles away the Matterhorn, the pyramid of stone which crowned the Alps, and with that, half of Europe. Are you sure we should do this? said Louis Antony, striding up beside his friend and lifelong climbing partner. Antony passed Corel a mug of freshly brewed coffee. The smell was intoxicating. Both men sipped at their drinks and gazed up at the challenge ahead. The sun had risen somewhere behind the monolithic angular peak, igniting the ridge with jarring sunbeams shooting out into a crystal sky. Carell turned and considered his friend. Of course, this may be our only chance for the record. Almost 20 years ago, when Carell had just been a boy, a team, including several men from the village, had been the first in the modern era to reach the Matterhorn's peak. Many before had tried, and several of those brave men had not returned. Those who did return did so dejectedly, glaring at the peak which hung over their village day and night as a constant reminder of their failure. If you're sure, Antony said, taking another sip of the quickly cooling coffee, you know I would follow you to the ends of the earth, and probably beyond if that's where our adventure led. The record we're going for today is something quite different, Carell said, running his fingers through his beard. We are to summit the Matterhorn in the winter. No one has done that before, for good reason. We have two challenges ahead. The mountain is one, and the weather, the weather is the other. The men stood and watched the mountain together for several long seconds, the haze of their breath mingling in the glacial breeze. Many thousand feet above, a long strip of cloud swirled towards the peak, as though pulled by an invisible hand. You see, Carell said, pointing at the cloud as though it was performing on his command. The wind up there has a mind of its own. Antony placed a hand on his friend's shoulder. You're not getting rid of me. We do this together, whether you like it or not. The men locked eyes for a long moment, and Carell nodded. Then let's go. We've a long way to climb today, and fair weather waits for no man. The men were in good spirits as they walked from the village. 
Word had spread that through stupidity or madness, Carell and Anthony intended to summit the mountain during the winter. Many residents endured the cold to watch the pair leave, standing at their doors and waving or rushing forth with best wishes and gifts. The men thankfully received and tucked away a small selection of things, a quart of whisky to keep off the cold, several cuts of cured ham and some dried fruit. After two hours, Carell stopped and gazed up at the wall of rock and ice that now towered above them. The sky had changed too. What was once a dome of benevolent blue was now a circling mass of cloud. This is it, Anthony said, as they set off scrambling up over the rocks. No turning back now. We are going to the top. If nature intends it, Carell said, kindly correcting his friend. The way to think about a mountain is this. It is not something to be conquered because man can never overcome nature. Carell paused his dialogue and scrambled up an outcrop with the speed and agility of an ape. It took Antony two minutes to traverse the same section which his friend had scaled in just a few seconds. When Carell spoke again, he was not even out of breath. He leaned back and eyed the peak. You must approach a mountain the way a baby approaches its mother. He slung his pack around and pulled out a parcel of cured meat wrapped in cloth. He passed one slice to his friend and took the other himself. You must approach a mountain knowing that you are powerless against it. You will crawl, useless and blubbering, into nature's lap, hoping for food. The men assessed the mountain a moment longer, chewing their meat. After a sip of water, Carell slung his pack over his shoulders again and set off. Several hours passed in much the same way. Carell would scale a section of the incline with incredible ease and then chew on something until Antony approached. Just after midday, the men paused and stared at the village now far beneath them, only visible by its twinkling lights. The weather was not on their side, and cloud filled much of the valley. It's not dense enough to worry about yet, Carell said, as Anthony huffed his way past. Anthony had taken to not stopping when his friend waited, and would plod forward at his slow and steady pace. We push on as far as we can. Carell said, pointing towards a 45-degree band of snow which filled the gaps between the cliffs. Every footstep is a victory, Carell shouted, quickly overtaking his friend, his spiked shoes easily digging through the power. The rope which ran between the two men, should either of them fall, snaked in the leading man's wake. Anthony followed, placing each foot carefully in the prints made by his friend. Then, all at once, a shroud of silence fell across the mountain. Anthony paused, listening. The sound of his beating heart seemed to be the only noise on the mountainside. Carell, now forty feet up ahead, didn't even slow. Anthony pushed on, trying to forget the eerie silence. Every step he fell behind would be one to catch up later, after all. He took several steps forward. Still, the only sound was the crunch of his shoes in the snow, the deep rumble of his breathing and the distant thump of his heart. Then it felt as though a giant fist crashed into the ground. A colossal boom roared up and then down the mountain. The 
powdery snow shook from side to side, feeling no more solid than water. A thousand explosions roared all at once, or at least that's what it felt like. Anthony cried out and stumbled forward into the snow. He extended his hands just in time to harass his fall, but sank into the powder up to his elbows. Glancing up, just in time, he saw his friend stumble or throw himself headlong into the snow. Then cloud or snow or ice or even the hands of Mother Nature herself closed in around Anthony. He glanced frantically about, but whatever it was now blocked his vision of everything in front, to the sides and behind. Corral! Where are you? Anthony shouted, but his voice couldn't cut through the curtain that surrounded him. Each breath roared in his ears like a howling wind. He whipped one way and then the other, trying to see something, trying to work out what was going on, but all he saw was grey. Anthony climbed slowly back up to his feet and stood crouched forward. Then the shaking came this time causing the mountain beneath him to quiver like a feather in the wind. The vibrations continued, getting more savage and more violent as the earth let out her pent-up energy. Anthony steadied himself. He gazed back towards the village, but swirling mist now cloaked their homes. Anthony turned back around just in time to see a boulder plummet down the mountain, cutting a groove through the snow just three feet to his right. Then another plunged to his left. Anthony sunk further into his crouch, his body coiled and ready to react. He focused all his senses on the wall of mist ahead, should anything fall towards him. His muscles strained, ready to launch. The whiteout gave up no clues. Distorted shapes moved and swirled beyond the curtain. Then the wind started again, wailing and whipping around the mountain ridges. Anthony closed his eyes to slits to keep the snow away. Then he felt the rope tied around his waist go taut. Corell was pulling him onwards. Corell, is that you? Anthony shouted through the cloud. He heard nothing but the whirling mist and the distant skittering of rocks. Shouting up here was like screaming into a pillow. The snow and mist just absorbed the sound, sucking it into nothing. Anthony climbed to his feet and still searching for oncoming danger, pushed his way forwards. Did you see that? Corell roared, appearing just a foot from Anthony's left. An earthquake, a big one too. Just, just incredible. Anthony glanced at his friend to check the other man hadn't taken a knock to the head. Experiencing an earthquake halfway up a mountain at a dangerous time of year certainly wasn't his idea of incredible. I, I, I don't... Anthony stuttered, his voice instantly lost in the gale. We're going to have to wait it out, Corell said, pointing forwards. There's a, there's a rock face about 20 feet through the cloud there. We can hole up beside the rock and sit it out. Conditions like this won't last long. Still twittering on about how exciting the earthquake was, Corell led them through the cloud. Within two minutes, the wall of rock loomed high in front of them. With no more quakes shaking the ground, Anthony felt the pit of his stomach solidify and his feet steady. He put his back against the rock wall and sucked in a deep breath. Slowly, the world around him stopped spinning as the panic receded. It felt good to be still. Now what is that? 
Carell said, pointing along the mountainside. What? I, I don't see anything, Anthony replied, reluctantly leaning forward and peering in the direction his friend had indicated. A silver tongue of ice hung beyond the cliff face just a few feet away. In the mist and confusion, Anthony hadn't noticed it. That, that glacier, Carell said, now almost bouncing with excitement. It's, it's split. The earthquake must have broken it in two. We'll use the hollow to shelter for the next few hours. That'll be perfect. It sounded far from perfect for Anthony, but before he could offer a reaction, Carell stomped off towards the glacier and disappeared through a two-foot-wide gap in the ice. Afraid to be left behind again, Anthony climbed to his feet and staggered after his friend. At the mouth of the opening, he paused and gazed upwards. The great, shimmering block of ice towered over him, its surface a translucent silver. The gap through which Corell had disappeared was little more than the width of his shoulders. Two sheets of rock-hard ice loomed either side like the jaws of some great beast. The thought of climbing in there made Anthony's stomach churn. Are you are you sure this is a good idea? Anthony shouted, cupping his hands around his mouth. What if there's another quake and we can't get out again? Wind slicing through his skin was Anthony's only answer. The cold slashed in through his coat and a shiver agitated his bones. Carell was right, Anthony thought. They couldn't spend the night out here on the side of the mountain. They would need to find shelter, and soon. Anthony steeled himself and slipped into the fissure. Inside the glacier, the world felt completely different. Although the cold continued to gnaw at his exposed skin, the wind instantly abated. The sound changed too. Outside, the wind had howled and screamed. Just three feet inside the glacier, it was little more than a murmur. Anthony slipped off his backpack, allowing him to move more easily, and then slipped further into the glacier. Somewhere ahead, light flared and glimmered. Anthony pushed on towards the glow. Look at this place, Carell said, holding up a small oil lamp. They'd stepped into a cavern right inside the glacier. The light from Carell's lamp danced across the icy walls in an ethereal tapestry of blue and white. Never in my life, Anthony muttered, inhaling. The whole cavern, which extended as far as he could see, glittered and sparkled as though the walls were embedded with a million diamonds. Corell glanced back at his friend, his eyes wild with excitement. Ice crystals twinkled from his beard. We're probably the first people ever to see this, Corell said, stepping further into the cavern. A groaning noise reverberated from the surrounding ice. Anthony froze in mid-stride, suddenly afraid the gap behind them would close, sealing them inside forever. A fine coating of crystalline dust floated down through the cavern. It's the glacier adapting to the new shape of the surrounding mountains, Corell said. Now inside, his voice boomed confidently from the walls. We'll be fine. Don't worry. Anthony took a moment to calm his pounding heart. The ambience of the cavern was disorientating, as were the blended sensations of awe, of danger and of fear. Carell wandered on, exploring with the nonchalance of a child in a sweet shop. 
Another creak reverberated through the cavern, this time sounding as though it were some distance away. It's like it's alive, Carell said, tenderly touching one of the ice walls. After another twenty feet, the cavern widened further, allowing the pair to stand side by side. These patterns, they're incredible, Anthony said, his worry finally melting into wonder. He pointed up at the roof, which was now formed with the patterns caused by thousands of years of shifting pressure. Carell swung the light in a wide arc from left to right. Suddenly, it illuminated something inside one of the cavern's icy walls. Something solid. Carell stopped abruptly and then swept the lamp backwards, inch by inch. What's that? Carell hissed, pointing with his free hand at the object. He raised the lantern higher with the other, bringing the full beam to bear on the thing. Both men stepped forwards and saw what it was at the same moment. Antony's muscles locked solid. His breath caught in his throat. He pointed, dumbstruck. Carell mumbled something, but for once his mouth couldn't form the words. Both men stared for long seconds, saying nothing. As though checking they weren't in a private dream world, the men glanced at each other and then back at the wall. Antony shook his head slowly as the truth became plain to see. Encased within the ice, just a few feet away, was something that looked like a woman, but not exactly. Positioned vertically, she was frozen inside the solid wall of ice. Her hands hung out at her sides, her wrists slender and her fingers splayed. Her position, frozen several feet above the cavern's floor, gave the illusion that she was peering down at the interlopers. But there was something strange about her. Something not human. Shaking now from shock rather than cold, Antony took another step forward and stared up at the woman's face. She had an almost human-like visage, yet there was something distinctly otherworldly about her. Her eyes were closed, giving her a peaceful appearance, as though she had merely entered a state of suspended animation. Tendrils of hair-like filaments floated around her head resembling a halo, and her skin had a luminous quality reflecting the light in an iridescent, silvery hue. She wore garments reminiscent of woven materials, adorned with intricate, unfamiliar symbols, and had jewellery crafted from materials either climber had never seen before. While she seemed lifeless, in this alien chamber, one might think she had only paused moments ago. As Antony's gaze travelled down, he noticed that her limbs were elongated, giving her a graceful yet eerie stature. Her fingers were slender, terminating in delicate points, and the arms nearly reached to her knees. The legs, while resembling those of a human, looked as though they had an extra joint, suggesting a mobility and agility far beyond our own. The woman's facial structure, because strangely he thought of her as being female, while largely human, was marked by high cheekbones and a flatter nose. Her ears were slightly elongated and peaked. The lips 
fuller than a human's, had a subtle blue tint, contrasting starkly with the shimmering skin. The differences between humankind and whatever being she was were subtle, yet unmistakable. Mon Dieu, Carell whispered, his breath turning instantly to vapour in the icy air. My God. It was almost two weeks before Carell and Antony returned to the ice cave. This time, they were not alone. Two government officials had travelled all the way from Milan to investigate the find. It had taken several days to get the word to the men, and then just as long for them to travel back to the mountain. Carell had initially been surprised that this was a government matter, rather than that of a university, but he didn't think anything of it. He considered himself fortunate that the workings of government were a mystery to him. Carell scaled the mountainside just beneath the cave and then crossed the ledge where they'd felt the earthquake. Allowing his instinct to lead the way, Carell padded towards the fissure in which they'd seen the ice maiden. Glancing over his shoulder, he saw the men stride up behind him. Each was dressed in specialised cold-weather gear, far higher quality than anything Carell or Antony had ever owned. As they neared the cavern entrance, Carell noticed one of them, a squat, middle-aged man named Rossi, muttering a silent prayer. Rossi's fingers grazed a silver pendant around his neck. The men were armed with ice picks and various tools for extraction. The other man, Marino, carried one of the brand new Kodak Number no. 1 cameras in a heavy leather bag on his back. Carell led them around the mountainside and the fissure within the glacier came into view. It's still there, Carell said with a sense of relief. If another earthquake or avalanche had occurred in the intervening weeks, the cave may have been lost forever. Marino lumbered up beside Carell and stared at the opening. After you, Carell said, pointing towards the opening. You lead, Marino barked. Carell huffed out of frustration at the man's tone. Ever since arriving in the village the day before, the two men had acted like the whole escapade was a waste of time. Carell wondered why they bothered making the journey at all if it were that much of a nuisance. As you wish, Carell muttered, leading them inside. Carell led, followed by Antony, followed by the men. Once again, the sound of the wind muted as they stepped into the cave. Carell drew out his oil lamp and lit it. The light flared, sparkling from the ice. Both government men drew out their own lamps and lit them. Their lights were far brighter than Carell's. For almost two minutes, the four men silently picked their way inside. Just a bit further, Anthony said, treading carefully in case anything had shifted since their last visit. Nearing the position of the lady, Carell slowed. He lifted his lamp high, filling the chamber with as much light as possible. The voices of the men now hushed into sibilant echoes. Carell took another few steps forward and the lady once again came into view. Although this time he had been expecting it, the sight of her still caused him to gasp. She looked as striking and strangely beautiful as the image seared into his mind's eye. Knowing words were useless, Carell simply pointed towards her. 
The newcomers saw her for the first time and a united gasp echoed through the chamber. Incredible, Rossi muttered, his weathered face reflecting a mix of awe and fear. It's, it's as if she's watching over this place, Anthony said. Marino stepped forward, pulled the bulky camera from its case and started the cumbersome process which allowed him to take pictures. We proceed with caution, Rossi barked, examining the scene with an attention to detail Carell thought was unusual for a government man. Every detail here could help us understand, Marino said. Anthony and Carell stared up at the woman, awestruck to be in her presence yet again. In that moment, Carell felt an inexplicable connection, a want to unravel her story, to give her a voice that the ice had silenced. The sound of a metallic click jarred through the dead silence like a knife. At first, Carell thought it was Marino operating the camera. Then, he noticed that Marino had let the camera fall to his side. Carell turned to look at Rossi. Rossi held a pistol, its barrel aimed directly at them. His face was devoid of emotion, eyes cold and calculating. What are you doing? Anthony said, his voice shaking. You've no need for that up here. Rossi's gaze remained steady. His coal-coloured eyes shifted from Carell to Anthony and then back again. This is bigger and more sensitive than you can ever comprehend, Rossi said, his voice as cold as the surrounding glacier. This discovery cannot see the light of day. The world isn't ready. Carell raised his hands in surrender and took a step forward. I, I don't see how this is really necessary. What harm can there... We have our orders, Rossi barked, his jaw set firm, and orders must be followed. Anthony, in a sudden act of bravery, lunged at Rossi. A muffled shot from the pistol sent him crumpling to the ground. Anthony thumped down against the ice. His hands clawed at his stomach. He tried to speak, but only air left his lips. Why? Carell screamed, paralysed by fear and grief. She is not worth this. Another shot rung out, and Carell too fell to the cold cave floor. An eerie silence followed. Rossi muttered something inaudible his eyes moving madly from the scene of ancient death to the one that happened just moments ago. He stashed the gun away and then turned to the other man. We pack up now. You have everything you need to seal the entrance? She'll be sealed for another age, Marino said. With another glance up at the Ice Maiden, the government men turned and walked away, leaving the bodies of Jean Carrel and Louis Antony in the Ice Maiden's Forgotten Crypt. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Thriller Vault podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the story. I've enjoyed telling it. This story actually started life as part of my latest book, The Titanic Deception. You can see this is the author copy because it's got the uh, 
the band on there. It started life as part of this story. However, I've changed it quite a lot. It's it's very different to the version in the book. But if you've read the book, you'll realise, hold on a minute, that sounds a bit familiar. And that's why. If you enjoyed it and haven't read the book, perhaps you'd like to. You can search your local Amazon store for the Titanic Deception or find it on my website, lukerichardsonauthor.com. Again, thank you for joining me for Thriller Vault this week. Please like, please subscribe, please follow us on the socials. And I can't wait to share another story with you soon.